So open up to Acts chapter 8, and we are continuing with uh, looking at Philip. And I just want to say at the beginning here, um, it has been absolutely amazing to, to, to study through the book of Acts, especially in the process of starting a church. And I've gotten so much out of it. I hope that you've gotten a fraction of, of what I've been getting myself out of just studying it. But it's just so amazing how Jesus is building his church. He promised that he would, he would build his church. And, and he started that in Acts. That's the whole story of Acts. And he's continuing to do that even today. And it's so amazing. And one of the things that, that he's highlighted for me uh, recently, and this is a, something that I did a lot more in the past, was uh, Matthew 9, uh, verses 37 and 38. Jesus is with a large crowd, and he looks out on the crowds, and it says that he has compassion for them because they're helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. And he turns to his disciples, and he says, look, the harvest is plentiful, talking about all these people, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into his harvest. And that was a prayer that I prayed almost every single day as we were in the process of starting things. And, um, and God really laid on my heart this last week to start praying that again. So I've started doing that. And, and the truth here with Philip is that Philip is an answer to that prayer. The disciples probably started praying that prayer because Jesus said, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. And Philip is an answer to that prayer. And I believe that we also are an answer to the prayer. I think that I, I think you are an answer to the prayer of laborers for the harvest. And God is doing incredible things through, through Philip. And I believe God will do incredible things through us individually in the mission field that God has for us. And remember last week, we, we talked about how in Acts 6, it introduces Philip. Remember, he's one of the seven that's chosen to serve. And there's just two ideas that are used to describe all those, those seven individuals, including Philip. Number one, that these are people that are of good repute. And then number two, that they are filled with the Spirit. And in the chapter uh, eight of Acts is, is, for the most part, all about Philip. And it's amazing that there's actually two stories, two independent stories, all about Philip. The first one dealing with the idea of him being of good repute. In other words, having high character. And, you, and we looked at that last week. Remember, it was with the, uh, Simon the Magician. And remember, we talked about how the means do not justify the ends when it comes to God. God cares about our character. He cares about the, our heart, our heart motives. Even if our uh, the intentions or what, what, what we're trying to achieve on the outside, maybe it's for God or for the mission, that doesn't matter. God cares about our heart. He does care about our heart. Someone of good repute is somebody that God will use. And then this week, we're looking at this idea of being filled with the Spirit because that's one of the descriptors of Philip. And that's the kind of person that God's going to use to build his kingdom. Somebody of good repute and full of the Spirit. And, and you know, there are so many amazing, amazing things that happen in the book of Acts. And we're going to see some incredible things here happening to Philip. Does, does God still do that kind of thing today? Does that kind of thing happen today? I think that's a legitimate question. I believe that he does. I believe that God does and can work in incredible, amazing, miraculous kind of ways today. Now, it might be more subtle in your life. It might not be the kind of thing that they're going to make a movie out of, but that's okay. God is going to work. He does work, absolutely does work. 
And we're going to see that in, in, in his life too. Because here's the thing is that I believe that, that God has us all to be missionaries. And, and I want you guys to start thinking in terms of being a spirit-filled missionary. Now, oftentimes when we say missionary, we think about somebody who's going to move to Africa or China or wherever. And that might be where God's going to call you to go. I don't know. But I believe that every single one of us has a mission field that's right in front of us. And it's maybe the person sitting next to you. Actually, it is the person sitting next to you, not maybe. It's your family. It's your neighbors. It's your coworkers. It's the person you just happen to run into. That's the way God works. God's plan for reaching those people with the love of God that's, that's why you're in those relationships. That's where you are. And again, I think that God does work in that way. So let's review real quick that idea of spirit-filled. If you remember back in October when we started this study of Acts, we talked about what in the world does spirit-filled mean. Now, there is an idea in Scripture of both a washing of the spirit and being filled with the spirit. Washing of the spirit is this one-time event when somebody is saved, when they put their faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit washes their soul. That happens one time in someone's life. And then after that, we see in Scripture that being filled by the Spirit is something that can happen successively, like over and over and over, several times. And, and basically the way that I'd summarize it, that we learn from Scripture, is that being filled with the, the Spirit means that the Spirit has complete control of my life. Whatever the Spirit wants with my life is what I do. That is, I think, the simplest definition of, of being filled with the Spirit. Because if you remember, most of the times when the, when the New Testament talks about being filled with the Spirit, it also, just right next to it, talks about and says, do not be uh, a drunk with wine. It puts them right next to each other. And I think the reason for that is it's giving us a contrasting negative example. Because... When you become drunk, you're no longer in control of what you say. You're no longer in control of what you say or what you do and, and how you think and all this. It, you, you're given over to that and it's controlling you. I mean, that's why they, they call it driving under the influence. Why is it illegal? Because you don't have control of your body. The alcohol is controlling your body. Therefore, you shouldn't drink and drive. So it's a negative example. So to be uh, controlled by the Spirit fully. It's like he doesn't just have part of my life. He doesn't just get some of my life. To be filled with the Spirit is, God, what you want in my life, in every phase of my life, is what I want. It's all yours, God. Take me where you want me to go. Do with me what you want to do with me. And so if we think about being filled with the Spirit, it's not it's not... Uh, you know, like, do I have a little bit of the uh, Spirit filling me up, like as if I'm a big cup that he can fill me up with? I think the better imagery is to think about us being fully in the Spirit. So, so not do I have a, so, all of the Spirit, but does the Spirit have all of me, right? So that he's get, he, gets, he doesn't just get the, the leftovers. He doesn't get the, you know, the change that's left over in my pocket. He, you know, it's like, I'll spend time with you, God, if I get a good night's sleep last night. I mean, it's like he gets all of my time. He gets all of my resources. God, you tell me what you want me to do with it. That's what I'm going to do. That, to me, is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And that's the kind of person that God is going to work powerfully through. 
And let me tell you, it's not something you plan. It's not something you figure out. We're going to see that with Philip. I mean, just so go to to Acts 8, and we're going to pick back up at, at verse 26. And just look at the way the Spirit works in this guy's life. Verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down to Jerusalem, to Gaza. I mean, just right off the bat, the guy's got an angel tell him what to do. It says this is a desert place. And he rose and he went. There's no hesitation, just go. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, we got to appreciate just like how wild everything that that is right there. I mean, Ethiopia was nowhere near where they are now. now. I mean, it's like I think it was like south of Egypt. I mean, this is like an eternity away for ancient world that time. And he's some kind of high official of the queen of Ethiopia in charge of all of her treasury. And he's actually got a copy of the, the book of Isaiah. I mean, having texts of the scripture in those days would be incredibly rare. He's reading Isaiah far from his land, just having come back from Jerusalem. And is this guy like a proselyte, you know, like somebody who's converted to uh, Judaism? Or, I mean, we don't know. It doesn't tell us. But, I mean, this is like crazy what's going on here. It's just totally wild. Verse 29, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. And this is quoting from Isaiah 53, which is one of the most well-known texts in the Old Testament about Jesus, it says, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opens up his mouth in his humiliation. Justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth. And, you know, and that was right after the text also says that we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I mean, this guy is reading the gospel in the book of Isaiah. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with his scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. I mean, this is like a gospel sharing opportunity where God heated up in every way. I mean, Jude and I were watching a little bit of the Nats game earlier today. You know, hitting a baseball that's thrown by a major league pitcher is a really hard thing to do. But anybody can hit a baseball with a bat off a tee. I mean, it's just like, God's like, okay, Philip, here's the tee. Here's the ball. Philip, here's the bat. All you got to do is hit it. Just swing. I mean, that, that's, that's the setup. This is what the Spirit has led him to. I mean, it's just absolutely incredible. Verse 36, and they were going along the road. They came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? 
And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus. I think I'm pronouncing that right. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Did you catch what happened there? Essentially, when he comes up out of the water after being baptized, it's just, boom, Philip's gone. It's like God just kind of transported him over to this other place, just gone. The guy went on his way rejoicing. And then Philip's like, well, I'll just share the gospel right here. Where, I guess this is where I'm sharing the gospel next. Uh, you know, Jesus gave the apostles this command to share the gospel and be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You think maybe they had like a meeting after that? They're like, hey, guys, we should get together and figure this out. Let's make a plan. How, how are we going to get the gospel to the other parts of the world? Do you think any of the apostles had this plan? Like, okay, I got an idea how we're going to reach Ethiopia. You know that place way down south in Africa? You don't plan this. This is, this is not a plan that any of us come up with. It's just God made it happen. Totally God made it happen. And, and I want to encourage you guys in that, that Philip's just a regular dude. There's nothing special about Philip. We just know that he is a man of character. He was filled with the Spirit. He's saying, God, whatever you want to do, you do with me. And God went to work. God went to work. It's absolutely amazing. And I believe that God has the same kind of plans for us, for the people that are in our community. Those people that are right around us, that God's brought into your path. You don't plan a miracle like this in the people that are in your life. And you might be thinking like, okay, there's this one person Okay, it's pretty clear that God's kind of brought them into my life, but it's, it's impossible. You know, maybe there's some kind of significant addiction or, or some kind of massive hurt in the past. Or, or maybe they hate your guts, you know, or like maybe the re- relationship's completely broken. I mean, like you go down the list of impossibilities. You don't plan that fix. That's the kind of thing that God does. God does that. And I think that when we have said, all right, God, you get my life. You get my life. Everything that's mine is yours. And I'm going the direction you want me to go. Then he goes to work. And he begins to, 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 to work, you know, on our lives. And in fact, I think you start to even start asking different questions and start seeking different answers even. You know, instead of what are we going to do with, you know, what's the plans for this or the plans for that, my ambitions in life or my, my comfort or my enjoyment or, you know, all those kinds of things that is easy to live for. We start living in such a way, it's like, how do I crack that nut? How do I get past this problem with that person? Lord, help me get around that, solve this problem. It's like, that's our desire. How can I use my, my resources that you've given me, God, my time, my talent, my treasure, for your kingdom. That becomes my life and the way that I live. And sometimes even our plans and what we desire, right? Like our plans for ministry sometimes even need to be set aside, I think. Because God's got something bigger and better. I think a great example of this is the Good Samaritan story. You know, where, where Jesus tells a story about these, there's this guy, I won't give you all the detail of the setup, you guys know the story. 
But there's a guy who's basically left for dead on the side of the street. He's been mugged. He's about to die. And then up walks a priest. You know, and the priest is like, ah, I, I, I got ministry to do. I got, I got work to do for God. I'm, I'm headed to the temple or, you know, whatever it was, like, to do my job. And, and if I touch him and he dies, then there's this whole ceremonial process that I got to go through to get clean. And I just don't have the time for that because here's the plan. Here's the agenda what I'm supposed to do. You know, and then a Levite, same exact thing, walks around him. And then a Samaritan comes up. And Jesus uses Samaritan, as you guys know, just to kind of stick it into people and help them to see, like, okay, even somebody that ethnically you don't get along with is going to do the right thing here. I think just to bother us a little bit. This guy loves him, you know, and provides for him and takes him to this lodge and says, here's my credit card, you know, whatever you need, I'll, I'm going to pay for it. Take care of this guy. It's like, we've got plans, we've got agendas. And I don't think planning is bad. I think God can work through planning. But the person that he brings into your life on the path is the person that God has for us to minister to. And that's the work. That is the work. It's not, it's not a diversion from the main thing. It is the main thing. You know what I mean? It's like, that's what I should be spending my life on, is the people that God's brought into my life. Just naturally. And again, it might not be, I mean, it could be, but it might not be across the planet. It's just the people that are right in your life. You are that plan. You are the plan God has for that, for, for that person in your life. So does the Spirit have all of me? And then I've, on, on the screen, another thing that I think we can do is we can pray for it. Look at Luke 11, verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, and, and this is, in the context of him teaching them how to pray, okay? The disciples asked him, how do we pray? This is part of his answer. Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine has stopped here while while on a journey. I have nothing to set before him. Then Then he will reply from inside, Do not bother me. The door is already shut. My children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though the man inside will not get up and give him anything because he's a friend. In other words, just because they're friends doesn't mean I'm going to do that kind of favor. This is the middle of the night, dude. I'm trying to sleep. Yet because of the first man's sheer persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. What father among you, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? You know, so far it's like this sounds Great. Basically, I can just ask God for anything and everything. This is like just an open blank check, God. Whatever you want, ask God. And of course, he said, be persistent about it. Be persistent. That's clear from the story before, but look at verse 13. If then, although you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This whole thing is talking about asking for the Holy Spirit. Now, I I think there is truth, and you can find in other passages, 
about the idea of being persistent and asking for other things besides the Holy Spirit. But right here, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. This is the good gift that God wants to give us as our Father. The presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so I, I think one way to think about this prayer is, is, is back to Matthew 9, 38, where you know, Jesus told them, Harvest is plentiful, laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Lord, help me to give everything that I have for you so that I can be your laborer. Lord, I just saw that person or I had a conversation with that person where there was this massive problem. Lord, this is someone who needs someone in your, their life. God, send that person that's filled with your spirit to interact with them and encourage them and give them your love. Or maybe that's me or maybe that's somebody. I mean, it's like, God, we need laborers. Let's start with me, Father. Make me a spirit-filled laborer. One thing that I, I started doing last week, and, and if you want to join me in it, you can, but I, I've got a, a phone that, that will let me set an alarm and that repeats. And so to help me remember that prayer, uh, Matthew 9.38, what I've done is I've set an alarm at 9.38 a.m. and 9.38 p.m. with a little note that says, pray for laborers for the harvest. And it repeats every day. Just goes off. Goes off. It reminds me. So far, it hasn't happened when I'm interacting with somebody, but I've already thought it's like, you know, that's a great opportunity to just pray with somebody. It's like even if it's somebody that doesn't know Jesus, it's like, hey, sorry, this alarm. And it's like, by the way, I, this is something I pray every day. You, you mind if we just pray real quick? You know, it's like such a cool opportunity maybe. But I want to start faithfully praying this prayer again. Make this a part of my life again. This isn't about numbers. This isn't about blowing up our church and making a gigantic. It's not that at all. It's about activating us into the mission that God has for us. Each and every one of us. Like, you're the design plan of God in somebody's life. And you might say, that's impossible. It's like, okay, who, who had the Philip plan? God's got a plan. He's the one who's going to do it, absolutely going to do it. The, um, I've, I've told the story before, but I'm going to tell it again. When I was the youth pastor at Blue Ridge Bible Church out in Percival, um, I wanted to encourage them to start praying for their neighbors. And so we did this thing where, um, I, I got construction paper and crayons and glue and all kinds of stuff so they could basically make a map of their neighborhood and, and be creative with it. And I wanted them to put, a, put their house in the middle and then, and then put five of the closest houses. And I asked them to put the names of the people in those houses. And if you don't know the name, then that's something you can start praying for to start to get that, get past that little issue. I said, put the names of the people in each house and then also put a significant factor detail about that person. And then hang it up in your house to start praying. And, um, and then after they did that, I had them do a little show and tell, to tell everybody their, their neighborhood. And there's this one girl that she, she pulled up her piece of paper and she had made a little attachment that kind of went off the side of it and, with another house on it because she kind of lived out in the country. And she's like, this house is way over here. And it's 300 yards away, and, um, and she said there's an older couple that are there. And I think she said they have one son. He's a Marine, and he is deployed to Afghanistan. 
And that, that was the interesting fact. And it just, it just hit me with a ton of bricks that it's like I had no idea about this family. Um, but do you think it's a significant detail that their one son is deployed in Afghanistan? Is that a big detail to that couple? Yeah. And you know, God knows that detail. And he cares about that. And there's this 16-year-old girl that lives 300 yards away that's going to start praying for them that also knows that detail. And I was just struck by it. It's like, this is God working. There are people that God's going to bring in your life. I mean, it's like the, like the Good Samaritan. It might be just you just stumble across somebody by chance, by sovereignty of God. And then there's also people that are right around you all the time, at work, at your, again, your home, your family, your next-door neighbors, all those things. I want us to start praying for the Spirit. God, fill me with your Spirit. And praying, God, you get it all. Every bit of my life, Lord, is yours. I want you to fill me up and control every bit of who I am. I trust your plan better than my plan. I think your will and what you want is better than what I want. God, it's yours. I'm going to trust you with that and start going after it. And God, I, guys, I think that we'll see God work. Absolutely. And I know there's testimonies in this room. I mean, you guys, I know there's lots of testimonies in this room of how God has worked. God has faithfully worked to open doors and to do things. Again, you don't plan it. You don't figure out stuff like what Phil, happened to Philip. That doesn't happen. But, but I think God can do amazing things through any and every one of us, not because you're amazing or I'm amazing, because we serve an amazing God, right? He's the one that's going to do it. So as we have our communion time, I, I just encourage you to think about, you know, number one, God, what in my life have I kind of held back a little bit? Like, like, you get the scraps, God, I get the rest. Is there something that maybe the Spirit will just land you? It's like, hey, this part of your life you actually haven't given to me. Let me have that. That's number one. And then number two, just after that and make some resolution with God, just pray for the Spirit. Ask and you will receive. God, fill me with your Spirit. Fill me with your Spirit. I want to... I want to work for you. I want to glorify you. And I want to see you, God, do amazing things for the people that are in my life. And God, I don't know how you're going to do that. This is what you do. This is what you do. So let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you so much for the example of Philip. Lord, we thank you so much that we get to be a part, um, that we get to participate in what you're doing, God. And it's just, it's just so perfect and beautiful because you are a God of love. Lord, you, you are on a mission, and that is the, the defining characteristic of who you are is your love. And your mission is defined by your love. Lord, and your mission is a narrative that can be traced throughout time and into the future. And, and we, we each fit into it in one little small corner Lord, but it's significant because people are significant, significant to you, God. And Lord, we want to use our life, use our time, use our money, use our, everything, God, that you've given us for your kingdom and for your glory. We want to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, trusting that all the rest you're going to provide. 
And we lift this all up in Jesus' name. Amen.